Hello and welcome to another message of the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. If you have any questions or just need some prayer, please feel free to write to us through our website at www.thelatterrain.org. And also keep in mind that our English audio messages are available as podcasts or iTunes. You can look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under Podcasts as the Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. In today's message, we'll be looking at something that many people do not believe that will ever happen, and that is God's patience running out. God is love, and He is good and kind and greatly merciful, but that does not mean that God's mercy does not have limits. Many people run with the misconception that God will never get angry and loses patience with people who consistently refuse to believe in Him, obey His commandments, and live in constant rebellion. We need to remember that God is love, but He is also consuming fire. He is a good God, but also He is righteous and holy. Please stay with us for the next few minutes as we listen to today's message. Let us ask the Lord to guide us and to help us have a clear mind, that he help us to get rid of any wrong preconceived notions. Let us also pray that the Lord give us a humble and soft heart to listen and to take in his word in its entirety, not just the things we want. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Lord, I praise you and I worship you, Heavenly Father, for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. For you and you alone are worthy to be praised. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the sacrifice that you made through him. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks, O Lord, because you are merciful and great and wonderful in every kind of way. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O God, that you may please uh, help us, O Lord, to have a clear mind, Lord God. Help us, O Lord, Heavenly Father, to not develop our own opinions or ideas, but rather to seek to know what is the truth, that there is a truth with you, Lord God. Help us, O Lord, to have humble and soft hearts, Lord God, and to just take completely and, and fully, Lord God, your word into our lives. Lord God, minister us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Our main scripture passage reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3 to 20. And this is what the Lord says. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium and I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. 
Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. King Saul is a prime example of what not to do in life. God had a purpose for his life, but unfortunately, Saul never really did things right. Here is a clear indication that the outcome of your life depends on how you choose to use your free will, because every single person is born with free will. What was Saul's problem? As we can see in the same passage, despite the fact that God had commanded him to get rid of spiritists and mediums and all that practice similar things, he goes ahead and consults with the very type of person he was commanded to get rid of. And this is just one instance of Saul's disobedience and sinfulness. Now, someone might say, especially someone that does not know Saul's track record, what was Saul supposed to do? Because God wasn't speaking to him. And here is where we come to our main point, the grave problem when God's mercy has reached its limits. And of course, we're going to explain this problem. But in order to do that, we need to examine Saul's life a little bit more to see what went wrong. The first problem that Saul never corrected was his issue with making the Lord his God. At nearly every instance when Samuel gives direction to Saul, Saul makes the comment, your God, meaning that the Lord was never really his God. There was no real conversion to the Lord, despite the fact that God had given him an incredible opportunity of being king over Israel, he never looked to develop his own relationship with the Lord. It was obviously not important to him, and as such, all the things that the Lord commanded him to do through Samuel were left incomplete, or not done according to divine instructions. There was always some story involved in how he thought things should be, always some sort of issue with obeying God. Saul was a disaster. And it happened so many times that Saul basically pushed God beyond his limits. 
God grew weary of Saul to the point where the Lord didn't want Saul anymore in power, and the Lord took away his purpose for him. And here is where we're going to clarify one of the most misunderstood concepts regarding God, God's mercy. Does God's mercy have a limit? Can a person disobey or rebel so much against God that God gives up on them? And the unfortunate answer is yes. If someone tells you that God's mercy is infinite, they're lying to you because they're either misrepresenting what is written in the Bible or they just don't know and are making a wrong assumption. To get a clear answer, we need to look at what the Bible says, which is our main source for understanding who God is and what he is like. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Psalm chapter 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of full compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Psalm 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. And finally, Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. So in every one of these passages, we see the detail that God is slow to anger, which does not mean that he will never get angry, but rather it takes some time and effort to get him there. But there is a definite limit. There is a point in time, depending just how much you push your limits with him, that he will get angry and that his mercy will stop. In the last passage we just read, it says that he will not at all acquit the wicked which gives us some more insight on who or what type of person triggers God's anger. Who are the wicked? The wicked are people that constantly rebel against God and disobey. That was Saul's problem, never acknowledging the Lord. No matter how much God tried reaching out to him, Saul never took the Lord. He just never, he never got involved with him personally. He rejected God over and over and over. The Lord didn't lose his patience with Saul in five minutes. It was years of reaching out to him. It was years of putting Saul to carrying out his purposes. It was years of sustaining a hardened and non-repentant heart. There was never ready any real conversion in Saul's life. He would feel bad for a moment when he would do something wrong, but go straight into something else. So there was never any change. His heart was just not with the Lord at all. And of course, because his heart was not with the Lord, he always wound up doing things his way. He never obeyed God, and so he became useless to the Lord. God needed a godly leader for his people, as the king God made him over Israel. But what good is it to have a person in charge that never looked for the Lord, nor had a heart for God, and least of all, disobeyed God at every turn? Can we blame God? Of course not. Think about it this way. I believe that most of you either go to school or work in something. And as students, you learn to, for instance, put forth effort to do homework, to take tests and pass. That's the job. But what if you don't do those things? Instead of doing what you're supposed to do, you do the opposite by being irresponsible, disrespectful to teachers and school authorities, abuse your fellow schoolmates, steal, cheat, and so on. Could you even blame a school for kicking you out? Of course not. 
You are in school for your own good, so you can learn and excel and acquire the tools you need in order to survive in this world, so you can achieve the very things you need to have so you become a useful person in today's society, to be able to make a living for yourself and at the same time help others. That's the purpose for going to school. And as employees or even business owners, we all work for someone or some people. What if we always show up late to work? What if we're responsible? What if you disrespect your boss or your client? What if you're lying to people and cheating the people and stealing from the company you work for? What if days go by and you have nothing to show for all the time they paid you to do something? Is it wrong for the company you work for or the client that hired you to fire you or sack you? Of course not. You're being paid as an employee and as a business owner to perform, to provide a service, to do something in return for that payment. And whatever you're doing needs to be within certain parameters and ethical practices. So if we understand that we need to perform and do things right in school or at work, then can we not draw the same line of reasoning for something far more important like our relationship with Almighty God, the one who determines what happens with our life here on earth and where we spend eternity? And especially if he tells us in different parts of scripture that his mercy does have a limit. No one knows where exactly that limit is, but it's there. And rather to push that limit, rather than trying to break God's patience, does it not make more sense to just do what we're supposed to do for our own good and for the good of others and because God has done so much for us without any kind of obligation? As believers, we need to obey God. We need to look for His will. God has a purpose for our lives, but if we don't look for Him, if we reject Him and the purpose He has for our lives, then what is God supposed to do? And what's worse, when we disobey God, we drag others down with us. We're not just affecting ourselves, but everyone else around us. Just look at our main passage again. God gave up on Saul, and that affected the people of Israel as well, because they were following Saul's poor leadership. And so, they were going to suffer some consequences as well. And now, where did Saul go after he died? He went to hell but to the bad side of hell. Some people may misunderstand that because Samuel made reference to Saul that he was going to be in the same place as him, that Saul, despite making a mess out of his life, that he's going to get the same place where Samuel was, a man that did love God, a man that did obey God, and that was faithful to the Lord. Jesus explains to us in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31, that before his death and resurrection, that there was such a place called Abraham's bosom, a compartment in hell where a temporary paradise existed while the fulfillment of the death and resurrection of the Messiah would happen. Here's what we read in this story. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, for if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So Samuel was in this place called Abraham's bosom. But Saul didn't make it to that place. They were both in a similar location, but on different sides. How are we certain that Saul did not make it into paradise or Abraham's bosom? With his last action in life, he committed his final act of rebellion and sin by taking his own life. He did what was wrong until the last moment of his life. He didn't repent. He didn't convert. He didn't try to make things right with the Lord. He took his own life and sent himself to hell out of his own free will. It's truly sad, but that's what happened. And that is what happens when you reject God constantly and when there is no obedience to the Lord. If God is constantly trying to put life before you and you reject it, there's only one thing left when you reject life, and that is death. It's not necessarily punishment. It's just a natural consequence that occurs when you push life and everything that leads to life away from you. There is no middle ground between life and death. And like we have stated many times, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The Bible explains to us that if we reject God to that point of no return, that He gives you up to your own devices. If a person rejects God so many times, then God says, Okay, you don't want me? Then keep going after what you really want. God is not going to force anyone to follow him it's all based on free will romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 32 explains this to us for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of god is manifest in them for god has shown it to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen.
For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Keep in mind that the book of Romans was written way after the period of God's dispensation of grace started, because the dispensation of God's grace started with Jesus' resurrection. So we're not quoting some Old Testament passage, which, by the way, God did not do away with the Old Testament as some mistakenly believe as well. The Lord came to fulfill the law and the prophets within us, not to do away with them. So, God knocks and knocks on the doors of people's hearts. But if they don't want to open the door to Him after so much insisting, then the knocking will stop at some point, And He will give up a person to whatever it is they want more. And finally, as believers, as those people who say that they have decided to follow the Lord, we need to obey God. We cannot continue in a lifestyle and practice of sin. We should not abuse God's grace and push His limits of mercy. We are not perfect and we will sin, but that does not mean that God's grace and mercy entitles us to live life in a way that goes against His commandments, against His purpose for our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 to 31 tells us this, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It doesn't get any clearer than this. There is no room for misinterpretation or misunderstanding. The black and white is very clear. As Christians, we were made with a purpose, with a reason to live. But if we don't fulfill that purpose, if we don't look to do God's will in our lives, then grace has no purpose in our lives. It's all for nothing. Here's where many people nowadays make the greatest mistake, that they can be saved and do their will as well. That goes clearly against everything the Bible teaches. The Lord's example prayer can't say it any more clearly. Thy will be done, not my will be done. 
God's will needs to be accomplished. God's commandments need to be followed for our own good. God doesn't lose anything. You lose everything when you don't follow the Lord, when you don't obey Him, when you don't look for His purpose for your life. God is not the one in hell. Saul is, out of his own free will, because of his decisions, because of not choosing for the Lord, because of not obeying the Lord. We always, always, always need to remember that there is free will, but also that there is a responsibility involved with free will. We are ultimately responsible for our actions. And in closing, probably the easiest way that can help us stay on track is by keeping what many have referred to as the golden rule in mind. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I would suggest for you to apply this golden rule to your relationship with the Lord. Whatever you would like done to you, do it to God. It does not get any simpler than that. Treat God the way you want to be treated. You want to be loved? Love God. You want to be respected? Respect God. You want to be taken seriously? Take God seriously. You want for the people you love to want to be with you no matter what because they desire to. Then do the same with God. You want for the efforts and sacrifices you make for your loved ones to be appreciated Learn to value and appreciate the great love and sacrifice God has shown you through Jesus Christ, through the unmerited grace and mercy we find through the Lord. We have to ask ourselves this question. Does God want to lose his patience to not have mercy? Of course not. God doesn't want for anyone to be lost. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that who, meaning God, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants for everyone to be saved. We need to remember that for God so loved the world, not just some people, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you see, God loves everyone and His grace and mercy is incredible, but that does not give us the right to abuse His grace and mercy. Because God is not only a loving and gracious God, He is also holy. He cannot be love and forget that He is holy and sovereign and the ultimate authority in the universe. So if by any chance you have not come to have that personal relationship with the Lord, despite Him knocking repeatedly on the door of your heart, I urge you to make that decision before it is too late. Don't put it off anymore. Likewise, if you are the person that says that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, but there is no surrender to the Lordship of God, and you keep insisting on doing your will, putting yourself and your desires ahead of God, I urge you to stop doing that and to look for the greater purpose God has for your life. Something much more wonderful than just living a superficial and sinful life. Take advantage of the life God wants to give you. Let us not abuse God's grace and mercy, but rather let us embrace them and treasure them and learn to love God that loves us so much. Let's pray. 
Lord God, Heavenly Father. Lord, your mercy is great. Your mercy is wonderful and it is so abounding. But Heavenly Father, Lord God, help us, O oh Lord, not to take it for granted. And even going beyond that, help us not to abuse your grace and abuse your mercy, ignorantly thinking that everything will be fine if we just keep on pushing our limits, if we just try to get away with what we can. Heavenly Father, help us, O oh Lord, to, to fear you, to respect you, to, to hold you as the holy and wonderful God that you are, to value what you have done, Lord God. Because, Lord, you saved us. You, you gave us the opportunity for salvation and for grace only out of your goodness. Not because you owe us anything, Heavenly Father. Help us, O oh Lord, to please have soft hearts and minds. Help us, O oh Lord God, to be able to value and to understand just who you are and what you want to do for us. And Lord God, to treasure it and to respect it, Lord God, and to treat you as you need to be treated, Lord God, as you should be treated. Heavenly Father, for you are the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that was, that is, and is to come, and will remain forever and ever. Heavenly Father, I pray for each person listening. I pray, Lord God, that you please open up their hearts, open up their understanding, O oh Lord, and that they may understand this simple truth as clear as day, Lord God. That, Lord, that you are graceful, that you are merciful, but that does not give us the right to abuse it. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us again next time as we continue looking into God's Word together. Please feel free to write to us through our website if you have any questions or just need some prayer. Our web address again is www.thelatterrain.org. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.